Coming up on Chasing the Natty, week one of the 2023 CFF season is officially in the books. There were plenty of surprises from offenses taking off immediately to others making us question our first round picks. There was a lot to learn, so we'll be hitting on a few of the bigger games first, and then we'll be diving into our first waiver wire segment of the season, where we'll be giving you five quarterbacks, five running backs, five wide receivers, and three tight ends to mull over this week. All this and more coming right after this. Caleb Williams dancing, cutting, mesmerizing run by the quarterback. Marvin Harrison, junior touchdown. Marvelous Mar. This is Chasing the Natty, a college fantasy football podcast. All right, welcome in, everybody. This is Jared Palmgren, host of the Chasing the Natty podcast. I hope you guys are having a wonderful ride to your work on this Monday morning. We are the College Fantasy Football Podcast on the Campus of Canton Podcast Network. You can find us on all of your podcast feeds and on YouTube every Monday and Wednesday morning during the season at 7 a.m. sharp. If you want to support the great work that we are doing here, head on over to campusofcanton.com and subscribe there with one of our fantabulous tiers. You'll find everything you need from your CFF, Devi, and C2C needs, as well as your betting needs as well. So go check all that stuff out as well. We got rankings, articles, including my waiver wire article this week, as well as some tools and even more than that for you guys to use. You'll, you can also find me and the show on Twitter. I'm at CFF underscore Jared, and the show is at Chasing the Natty. Guys, I'm so excited that college football is finally here. It was great to completely veg out for 12 hours yesterday as the noon kickoff games kicked off, and then I pretty much did not leave my couch until like 12.30 that night. Oh, I, I did I did leave a little bit for to get some dinner, but you know, because you got to eat at some point. But otherwise, it was absolutely fantastic. Loved pretty much all of the games that we were able to watch. Again, we'll talk about some of the bigger games and some of the bigger takeaways we'll have there. But to help me out this week, in week one, I have one of the founders here at Campus of Canton on this week, Mr. Austin Nace. Austin, how are you doing, sir? And how was week one for you? Week one was awesome. I mean, my Pitt Panthers won. So right there, you know, I can't Very always true. say that. So that was great. Um, and actually, it's funny because it's Labor Day. My wife's away with her family. This oh, is the nice. first fo- football weekend in probably five years that I've just laid on the couch, like legit just laid on the couch. So no complaints nice. for me. Very, very nice. Again, my, my girlfriend went out with uh, some of her friends yesterday as well. And she basically told me, she's like, I'm not coming home until late. So like you get the whole day to yourself. And I'm just like, cool. like don't get in trouble. You're like, I won't. I won't. I won't. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be I'm going to be right here. The only thing you have to worry about is, is the fact that I may forget to eat because I'm excited about the game. Again, awesome. We have it was a fun week one to get a lot of cupcake games. We got a good look at some of these teams that we had a lot of questions about. We got a little bit of answers to some of these teams that we were talking about over the off season. And, but there's, you know, plenty of surprises in there for us as well. So I think that's a great segment or segment. We're going into a segment, a great segue over to some of these game matchups that we can immediately start talking about here. And 
Where else are we going to start than the Colorado TCU game? I mean, it's overreaction Sunday where, you know, Deion Sanders has created the best football team since 2019 LSU. And then Georgia's about to go seven and five because they only put up seven points against UT Martin in the first quarter. Um, But anyway, Austin, what were your thoughts on this game? Definitely some... I don't want to say polarizing because I think that's the, that's the thing that kind of drives me nuts about this whole conversation is that it feels like a lot of people are talking to air when they're talking about how people talked about Deion Sanders and this team this year. Everybody admits that what Dion did yesterday was incredible. It was a great performance by the Buffs. It was definitely higher. Like they exceeded expectations by a lot of people here. What were kind of your takeaways from this game? My favorite part of the day was that Dion had Travis Hunter and Shador after the game talking to the reporter on the sideline. And he said, these are my two sons when his actual other son is on the team and was not in the picture. So that was my favorite part of the day. Yes. He said, these are my two sons. And I was, I just couldn't stop laughing. I was like, poor Shiloh. I'll adopt him at this point. I don't care. Um, More to what happened on the field. I've had, I guess at this point, we've had about 24 hours to chew on it. And I think there are a lot of different ways you can go with this. I think we can say that we probably underestimated Colorado a little bit. For sure. Although I think some of us were saying that there was Sean Lewis there. There was certainly potential for uh, some high-powered weeks. Uh, I don't think we expected 500 yards passing on the first week and four 100-yard receivers, but that's what we got. I think we could talk about the TCU is probably a little worse than we thought. Oh, yeah. Talk about just zero team speed on defense. I mean, these guys are just blazing past him at every opportunity and i'm not saying these guys on colorado were bad athletes but holy crap i mean just just ridiculous um and i think it's still fair to wonder exactly what colorado is going to do moving forward i could very much see a scenario where this week was like you know they're all just hyped up they're they're Mm -hmm. ramped up to go out there week one everything kind of works out right tcu looks like they just don't want to win this game at all they keep giving the ball away in the red zone and and just making stupid stupid decisions um only for them to go out flat against nebraska and lose by like 15 i could see that i could very well see that happening here the the next week but from a fantasy perspective i think it's just in sean lewis we trust yeah, for sure. I think I'm I'm buying most of this offense now. Uh, Horn Weaver for sure, um, and, and Sanders as well. But I think he'll be he'll be a little more difficult to buy. I I wouldn't be surprised if we see another 400 yard passing performance out of him this year because they still got Colorado State in a couple weeks and they can't run the ball at all. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with you. That is kind of the surprise. I think people expected, you know, it's Sean Lewis moving up to the Power 5. It's going to be a good offense, and it's in the Pac-12. The Pac-12, out of all the conferences, has the worst team-to-team average when it comes to defensive talent, the defensive performance over the last couple of years. It was not going to shock me that Colorado is going to have some really, really big weeks here. Like you said, I didn't expect him to do it against TCU, but I fully agree with you that I think that has more to do with the fact that TCU is much, much worse. Because everybody's talking about how TCU's secondary was supposed to be one of the best in the Big 12 going into that game. And quite frankly, they looked outclassed. They, like, it's... There is some level of talent when it comes to the offensive skill players, obviously. I mean, Travis Hunter, like, shoot, he's already in the Heisman running after week one because of just how insane he was during that game. But when receivers are constantly, like, I mean, constantly, just five yards wide open... 
that's just on the defense playing poorly at that point. I don't know if Colorado is going to get that every single week. And so I do think there is going to be some regression. You're not going to see Shador Sanders finish in the top 12 QBs every single week here. But again, I said that I was avoiding all Colorado players because I thought maybe that they couldn't even run an offense this year. I was totally wrong on that. I have to eat crow there. They're going to be legit in a lot, a lot of games this year, especially playing in the Pac-12. I do think that people need to be careful about the idea that this might be like a matchup proof offense that could definitely get you into some trouble down the line there. But what about TCU? Any any kind of takeaways over on that side of the ball? Chandler Mortis was a guy that was kind of going late in a lot of leagues that people were kind of buying into because of what Max Duggan was able to do last year. What do you think about him and any of his pass catchers? And we'll talk about his tight end later so you don't have to bring him up yet. Yeah, um, I from a fantasy perspective, Chandler Morris was not bad yesterday. I don't know what exactly his final uh, numbers were, but I mean, he threw for almost 300 yards, had a couple of touchdowns. I would expect him to be a little more effective some weeks with his legs than he was in this one. Uh, only had 30 yards rushing, but I mean, it wasn't like from fantasy. It wasn't one of those performances that just you you had him in your lineup. You're going to lose. So I, I, I don't, I think moving forward, he'll be okay. I think the really interesting um items to look at here kind of the running back split which i still don't think we have a really good idea about because colorado couldn't stop the run at all and i do think Mm -hmm. that's going to be interesting watching them moving forward is like if tcu had not thrown that early interception and they could just run the ball the whole time what does this game look like i'm i'm very interested if there was a way that we could go back in time and have that happen or you know an alternate universe i'd be interested because i think they just had their way with them yesterday imani bailey over 10 yards per attempt just Get breaking free every opportunity they couldn't stop trey sanders in any sort of short yardage situations mm-hmm. i'm wondering if that's going to kind of be how that split is if so maybe it's imani bailey between the 20s and then between you know in the 20s it's sanders that we could be looking at that kind of split so both may have value but but might be uh more matchup specific and then i came away actually most impressed with uh tight end jared wiley mm-hmm. i think uh, i think he could be an interesting weekly option or at least you know if you a a kind of a backup tight end that that depending on the matchup you might plug him in if you don't have bowers or gadsden or you know one of those top guys so i I think those are my takeaways i I didn't none of the other wide receivers were amazing in this one Mm -hmm. and and i think that the target share was spread around enough that wiley is the only one that as of today i'm super interested in moving forward I mean, I really have nothing to add there, so I think I'm going to go ahead and have us move on to our next game here. We're going to only talk about three games here, but again, the theme here is some of these games where they have us questioning some of our choices early on in draft, so we want to kind of talk about and discuss some of those guys here today, and then obviously, again, in the case of Colorado, an offense that some of us thought, like, you know, maybe another year they're going to be great, but this year they may be not so great, but they came out flying, but... Let's look at this Houston UTSA game. I caught some flack in the C2C Discord this uh, on yesterday because some people were saying like, oh, this was supposed to be an offensive shootout. And they're like, who told you that? And it's like, Jared Palmgren. I'm like, ah, that, that, that's nice. I, 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 at least you guys are listening to me. <laughs> that's, at least you guys are listening to me. But again, I was totally flabbergasted by this game as well. The final score here was 17 to 14. Uh, Houston winning here. But again, 17-14 is not an offensive shootout. Both of the defenses, I think, played way better in this matchup than I think we were kind of expecting them to. But also, I think both of the offenses weren't really up to par either. And 
Frank Harris really, I think, is kind of the biggest question mark out of the bunch here. Because, again, we took – Donovan Smith maybe not performing super well in week one. That's fine. Like, you took him as, like, your QB 2-3. But Frank Harris is the guy in CFF leagues you were taking in your, with your first-round pick or from your C2C league. Like, you're spending quite a bit to move up to grab Frank Harris, expecting him to be an elite CFF option when you could be targeting, a, like, a five-star or four-star um, Devi asset instead. So, Austin, your kind of takeaway from Frank Harris, because I asked Nate and Chris this morning um, about, because I, I did the freak out scale, I put it out on Twitter, and Nate's not worried at all about Frank Harris. Uh, me and Chris are a little bit more worried here, because, again, just kind of a rough performance for him yesterday. Where do you fall when it comes to Frank Harris only scoring about 16 fantasy points yesterday? I find Nate to be very reasonable and grounded on, in these situations. Um, so... I'm 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 tending to to think if I were to give somebody advice, I'd probably say, listen to Nate. It's probably not a big deal. But here's why I think it's a bigger deal than actually any of you guys thought on the the freak out scale. What you what was the highest? A four? A I five? think the highest is a four. Uh, a four. I wrote so I do my my bold predictions article at the beginning of the year, and I wrote one of my bold predictions was that Frank Harris does not finish as a top thirty six quarterback in the country this year. And there were basically three big reasons for it. One of them being the four knee injuries that he had this offseason. Now he actually looked like he was moving okay, so I'm a little less worried about that one. I, I I am tempted to kind of cross that one off the list, but I think the other two are still very valid. New offensive coordinator, and it didn't seem like they were really in sync the whole day. And then coupled with that, basically all new receivers outside of uh, Cephas in terms of guys that have regularly played with Harris over the years. Uh, Zakari Franklin gone, Clark. I'm hesitant to ever think that we see Clark at, you know, 100% correct this year. I, I, this could mm-hmm. just be a year where coming back from the knee, it doesn't sound like if he's not ready now, like I don't know that he'll ever be close to 100% this year. And those other weapons that were out there did not look like they were on the same page with Harris at all. I mean, there there were a couple of drops. There were, you know, some miscommunications there. The only way they could get something like David Amador in the game was by putting him on like jet sweeps and stuff. I mean, it's... It, it it was not, and I actually I actually watched that whole game yesterday. Um, it it was not a great offensive performance. I am actually very worried about about Harris specifically. Not worried at all about Cephas Barnes. Actually, slightly just because of that offense isn't scoring. What's he doing? Um, but I think I'm actually semi worried about Frank Harris this year. Quite frankly, yeah. Again, I I I wasn't willing to go where Nate was with the two and everything because again, like. There's still kind of some tough matchups ahead for UTSA. I mean, they got Army in week three, which again, Army, I'm not saying Army's defense is like fantastic or anything, but it is a game where they're, you know, UTSA is going to score less than than they normally would throughout the rest of the season because again, those triple option teams are designed to limit possessions. And with the running clock now, again, we, we're seeing that like, I think it was Ohio State yesterday was only able to have like 10 offensive possessions. Like it was something crazy like that compared to like 19 they were able to have the year before it is affecting these games in that capacity. So these teams like army could definitely limit UTSA big time in those games. And if, again, they're, they're not in sync. That could be a problem. You got Tennessee who does look improved defensively. I mean, again, not like Virginia is like, you know, a high powered offense or anything, but it's just like objectively watching the film, their guys look faster. The guys that they had last year, they were really good. Look even better than they do even better this year. So I think that's going to be a tough matchup. And then once again to the meat of their conference schedule, you're looking a little bit better. But even still, that's 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 at least a fourth of your schedule now with Frank Harris, where you could possibly be benching him if he's not getting better 
by next week against Texas State. So definitely a little bit concerning there. Um, again, and just and just for the like, just to show like that I am buying into my. I don't just write the bold predictions article and then just like it doesn't mean anything to me. I've taken the under on UTSA's win total this season that was plus money when I hit it, and I had the under in yesterday's game. Like I, I think they're going to struggle to score all uh, at least to the level that we've expected them to quite a bit this year. I, I don't think I, I think the the they're just going to pick up where they left off last year narrative has been a little off all off season for me personally. So one thing I'll ask you real quick, Austin, we won't spend too much longer on these games here. Um, Our golden boy, Matthew golden scored a touchdown yesterday, but he was also third in the team when it came to receptions. And I believe targets as well. I need to look that up real quick. Um, But how are, are are you concerned about that at all? Again, I know a lot of people were, again, definitely a lot of people were drafting him highly in CFF, but it looked like Sam Brown was kind of the guy getting peppered with a ton of targets yesterday. What's kind of your re- reaction to that? Yeah, it seemed like um, Brown and, um, why am I, and, and their quarterback. Why am, uh, oh, no, Smith. Yes, thank you. Donovan Smith just seemed better in sync. Uh, he missed uh, Golden on a couple of, of passes. Um, it's one week. I'm not freaking out about target distributions necessarily, but I do think it's something uh, to note. And Manjack was a little more of a, um, I don't want to call him a gadgety guy because I think that's underselling a little bit what he did yesterday, but they definitely were kind of like, we're going to scheme him open and get him into a little bit of space. Whereas I think they trust Golden to just get open. Mm-hmm. So I do think Golden could have some weeks where he's getting a zero because Brown's pretty good and Manjack might just have a floor of four touches because they're just saying, let's get the ball to man Jack over here. You know, it's a little misdirection. We'll get him one-on-one out here. And then hopefully he can beat the guy and, and, and pick up some extra yardage. Yeah, no, I, I, I was wrong, by the way. Uh, Golden was tied for first in targets. Both him and man Jack had seven targets. Um, but he still was third in receptions. Because like you said, Smith was just missing him. Or there just wasn't really... Or according to uh, PFF here, which again, I know some people don't trust their drop stats, but it, Golden did have a drop yesterday as well. He did. So. Uh, it, and it was, it's probably as technically a drop, but it was like a little slant and Donovan Smith only has one speed on gotcha. his passes and he just <laughs> ripped, ripped it at him. And it, like the, the announcers were like, yeah, I mean, what what's he going to do with that? But yeah. and that's how they were using Golden yesterday though. I think mm-hmm. they were also a little bit lower value targets compared to Brown. Whereas like Brown's going downfield yeah, it's maybe a 50-50 or a 60-40 ball, but if he comes down with it, that's a 40-yard reception. Whereas Golden, it was a lot of, you know, 10, 12-yard outs, slants, just kind of shorter stuff, kind of almost possession type, Yep. Uh, which surprised me a little bit because I think Golden, when I watched him in high school, he won deep very, very easily. I, I think he can do that. So I, I might just be how they're deploying the personnel in one week. But that is something to, to watch as well. He might be more of a volume guy moving forward, but kind of lower value targets. Yeah, and to back you up on that, Samuel Brown's ADOT uh, average depth of target was 11.5 versus Golden was 7.7. So Brown was getting targeted about four yards on average deeper down the field with his targets than Golden was. Definitely something to watch, I would say, over the next couple of weeks. It may not be that we have a tank Dell here, even though we... You know, we've come to expect Dana Holgerson wide receiver ones to really separate from the rest of the room. Sounds like they got two pretty good options, at least there in him and Brown. And then Man Jack obviously find a role for himself. Another offense that kind of disappointed us this past week was the Ohio State Buckeyes. So let's talk about their game here with Indiana here. Austin at Campus of Canton, it is 
full out in the open that we have absolute lovers of Kyle McCord. We have absolute lovers of Devin Brown. You kind of, I see, like, watching the shows and everything, you kind of fall in the middle. You, you're okay with Kyle McCord, but you know if Devin Brown were to take over, you would be pretty okay with that as well. So I feel like you can provide a good objective voice here in terms of what you saw with those two quarterbacks yesterday. And do you think this is a system problem with the way Ryan Day is running his offense this year? Or do you think it is something to do with the quarterbacks? Yeah, I think um, what we've seen a lot with Ohio State quarterbacks as of late under Ryan Day is that he kind of runs this really kind of, you know, slow developing offense where you've really got to sit there and wait and they can afford to do that because their offensive line is usually better than whoever they're going up against and their receivers are so good that uh, they will get open. It's just a matter of, you know, waiting that extra second to do that. And we've seen that with some of the quarterbacks that have gone to the NFL, Stroud and Fields in particular, both had questions on their processing. And I actually think McCord is the worst processor of the three, <laughs> which isn't to say that he can't be really good at Ohio State. Like Ohio Ryan Day at the end of the day doesn't really care what his NFL prospects are. Obviously, it probably helps sell the next quarterback recruit if your guys are continuing to go early, but he doesn't really care. He cares about winning football games. So I think McCord looks slow on everything. And like, even for Ohio State quarterback, like systematic standards, he looks slow on everything. And he was either missing guys or throwing behind guys yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, when we saw him do well, were basically when they'd clear out the middle of the field for him and then send a guy down the seam. That's kind of what he's good at because that really takes one read. He knows where the safeties are as long as the linebackers aren't dropping. Like that's the kind of throw that Kyle McCord today makes be- makes the best. I don't think they, I, I think Devin Brown is personally is probably more talented than Kyle McCord. I have been on the record of that for years, but I don't think they're going to bench Kyle McCord unless he gives them a reason. Mm-hmm. I think week one might've been close to giving them a reason, but it didn't hit that level. But I, I do think it's something to watch. Um, and I am concerned about my Harrison and Ibuka shares, quite frankly. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm, I as far as I can tell, like again, I, I'm, I'm. If I haven't already, I am going to put out a freakout scale graphic as well, directly tying to the Ohio State situation. I, I have a setup to where it's like one is Kyle McCord, one is Emeka Egbuka and Marvin Harrison together there, because I feel like you know those two are basically in the same bucket and everything. You feel one way about one, you feel one, you feel the same about the other. I am more worried about Kyle McCord. Obviously, if you have him as a CFF asset than anything else, because again, it seems like even if he is starting, his ceiling is not as high as what CJ Shroud has been the last couple of years. So that's obviously pretty concerning. But in terms of the receivers, I think the next couple of weeks are probably going to be rough as Ohio State still tries to figure out what they're going to do at the quarterback situation. But one of two things is going to happen. Either Kyle McCord is going to get his crap figured out and he's the starter. And all of a sudden, you know, they're going to utilize Harrison and Emeka Ibuka a lot better. Or he loses the job, Devin Brown comes in, and he's a lot better with those two. Those two are going to be fine as the season goes along. I think they're going to be great as long as they don't get hurt, obviously, and everything like that. But in terms of... But again, I I think either... Whichever way we go down with the quarterback, I think that those two are going to be fine long-term. Again, the next couple of weeks... I'd still start them, but if they if they kind of put up duds again this week, it would be a sit, unfortunately, until they get that situation figured out over there. 
So, the nice thing is they get Youngstown State this week and then Western Kentucky the week after. Neither of those are looking like particularly amazing defenses, so hopefully they can work out some kinks because then they've got Notre Dame. Yeah, and I think that's going to be uh, a much tougher game for them. I would certainly hope that Notre Dame plays better <laughs> I mean, than the, Youngstown uh, sorry, and Western that, Kentucky. That, that was a captain obvious statement. <laughs> no, but, I mean, all yeah, good, I mean, all good. It's, it's very bad defenses, and then you have to go play Notre Dame. That that's yeah. a That's a tough one. Definitely a big jump up. All righty. Well, that's the recap of our games. Again, we would go into more, but again, we got a lot to get to here. Um, and so we're going to jump straight into our waiver wire segment for you guys this year. And the way we do this each year is we provide, we want to provide you a plethora of names here. Um, I try to provide five quarterbacks, five running backs, five wide receivers, and three tight ends. Um, we're obviously, because of time constraints, we're going to go through these guys pretty quickly here. And so, like, we're not going to go super in-depth on every single one of those guys, but I'm going to give me and Austin and or whoever in the future I have on each Sunday to, you know, give our quick thoughts on each of these guys. And quite frankly, Austin, if you see a guy that I put up here that you don't like, feel free to let the people know. We're going to start off on the first one with it, so, uh, so perfect, yeah. I'll I'll go ahead and throw up, again, I got, I got the first guy up here. We'll start with the quarterbacks here. Every one of these, by the way, are under 30% roster ship on fan tracks. I want to make sure I'm giving you guys guys who are pretty widely available in a lot of leagues. Like, obviously, people take guys at the end of their drafts, and, like, you know, they're like, holy crap, this guy was way better than I thought. I'm going to throw up Emory Jones here, quarterback out of Cincinnati. He was so far, so far, because we still got a couple of games this weekend as we're recording this, but so far, Emory Jones is the QB1 from this past weekend, just absolutely tore up poor Eastern Kentucky over there. Five touchdowns through the air, two on the ground, almost 350 passing yards which i think was probably the biggest surprise was that emory jones was qb1 on the weekend and he did most of his dirty work through the air versus emory jones we all typically think of him as a dual threat guy obviously we got to take the opponent into account here again it's eastern kentucky but to me the way he played in this game showed to me that satterfield trusts jones to make this offense move the system has typically been great for dual threat quarterbacks, so I'm not worried about the fact that he only had 26 yards rushing. I think in bigger games where he needs to run, he's going to get it. And the fact that he was running in the red zone tells me that there's a super high ceiling here every single week because that's, he's the guy that they're going to in those situations there. And then again, the thing that surprised me was his ability to pass in this game. It wasn't just a bunch of short passes, short, easy passes. 26% of his passing attempts went beyond 20 yards down the field. I think that's a, I think that, and he connected on four of them, which I think is much better than we expected him to. I think he has found himself a pretty good system here. Do I think he's going to have an amazing week every single week here? No, but again, given who we've seen in the system in the past, namely Malik Cunningham and his productivity here, I think there's a possibility that Emory Jones, there's a path to top 10 CFF QB here. If they can replicate not exactly this. Obviously, this was absolutely incredible what they did this past weekend. But if they could replicate this somewhat in Big 12 play, Jones could be a sneaky, sneaky grab right now that could pay off big time for you down the line. Austin, you seem to disagree with this. What do you yeah, think? I, I don't want to hate hate on him because I, I do think it was a good performance. And I do think there is some untapped for this system rushing upside with Jones that we didn't necessarily get to see this week. Um, I, I think my big problem when week one, like I'm based, I'm, I'm kind of, I call it like selectively aggressive where like, mm-hmm. I, 
Uh, there are certain players that I'm just going to go all in on in my waivers and then others that I'm going to let somebody else pick up. And I think Jones is one of those. And I think a lot of it is just I'm chasing what I think is going to be volume for the rest of the year. 23 passes. I mean, that's not a lot. And again, even if most of his value is more on the ground than through the air, I'm still not like I, I'm not sure. I'm not, I don't think you can necessarily always rely on that. And you look at his next three opponents here. I mean, you've got Pitt. I don't think he'll be able to like tear up Pitt on the ground. I don't think he'll be able to tear up Oklahoma on the ground. Uh, is that, is that Maryland in the middle? It's Miami of Ohio. That's Miami. Oh, that's, you might be able to do it to Miami. Um, but I, I just, yeah, I, I'm not sure that that's going to be there every week consistently enough for him. So he's a guy that I might let others chase after personally, but um, I definitely get the upside with him for sure. Alrighty, moving on. Given that you don't really seem to like the guys who move with their feet and don't have a ton of passing volume, you're probably not going to like these other two guys here either, Austin. But we'll move on to the next one here. Kadon Salter didn't have the greatest of performances this past week, but this is a, I'll admit, this is more of a projection play than anything else here. We didn't really know that Salter was going to start for Liberty. He's been a guy that we've been waiting for the Flames to put out there as a starting QB, like officially for a while now because of his dual threat ability. It could be a ton of fun in that system with Jamie Chadwell. Well, we got the start this past weekend and, you know, 11 for 20, 143 yards, two touchdowns to the air. So, you know, all right passing or really not that great if I'm being real. But it's the legs. 19 rushing attempts leading the team here. 82 yards on the ground. To me, it is worth going out there. And if you've got some guys who are kind of putting up some pretty pedestrian passing numbers and aren't really dual threat guys on your bench that can maybe get you 15 to 20 fantasy points per week, I'd drop them for a guy like Kadon Salter where if in the right matchup, he could go absolutely insane with his rushing ability. Again, look at these upcoming opponents. New Mexico State, Buffalo, FIU. This is just absolute insanity in terms of how easy this schedule is going to be for Liberty. We expect Liberty to be one of the better teams in the CUSA. CUSA's um, overall team talents are a joke compared to literally the rest of college football. So once they get to conference play, I think Salter could absolutely tear it up out there. Austin, what do you think? I have no numbers behind this, but I'm just going to flat out say it as if it's a fact. Liberty has the weakest schedule in the country. So I actually love Kadon Salter, and I loved him for this year because I think there's a lot of time for him to kind of marinate in this Jamie Chadwell offense that we've seen be uh, pretty dang effective for quarterbacks. You, you mentioned the next three opponents, the, his rushing ability. Um, yeah, I actually, I really, really like Salter this year. And even beyond FIU, they've got Sam Houston, Jacksonville State, Middle Tennessee, Western Kentucky, LA Tech. Uh, Old Dominion, UMass, and UTEP. Find me one defense in there that I have to be worried about at all. I I really, really like Salter this year, quite frankly. I don't know. Um, I'm kind of curious if there's a wide receiver that emerges here, and I'll be really interested to watch and see. But as and in the point of like all my leagues, I think have like some sort of fob element to the free agency. Mm -hmm. So I'd probably have to go spend what 20, 30 out of dollars out of 100 on, on Emory Jones, maybe. I'd have to spend one dollar probably on Salter. I would much rather spend one dollar on Salter, or even if it's ten or fifteen. For oh, sure. for sure. I just he's he's so cheap that that I I'll probably try to sneak through a couple of Kate on Salter ads this week. 
No, this is definitely one of those. I, I think that's an excellent point. Because, again, everybody's going to go after Emory Jones. Because, again, he's QB1. For most people casually looking at the waiver wire each week, they're just going to see yeah. the top guy from this past week nobody owns. So, like, oh, shoot, I'm going to grab him. Kaden Salter maybe scored, like, I don't know, like 20 fantasy points this past weekend. Because, again, his passing numbers were pretty pedestrian here, and he only scored two touchdowns. But, again, that dual-threat nature, there's going to be some touchdowns that go along with that 82 yards rushing there on most weeks so he has a very high upside here very similar a guy in a very similar vein here we'll go to our next guy here byram brown uh quarterback out of south florida rostered on 26 percent of rosters here this past week threw for 166 yards and a touchdown ran on the ground 25 attempts for 160 yards and two touchdowns thank god Alex Golish and the Bulls coaching staff here went with Byron Brown. I think he provides easily the higher CFF upside for the Bulls on a given week here. I mean, just look at what he did with his legs this past week. He's also in this Alex Golish veer and shoot system. I think they're still trying to figure out who's going to step up there at wide receiver. Although Joffrey Brown, the younger brother of Deami Brown, looked pretty solid this past weekend. I love the fact that Brown is starting in this system. He definitely needs to clean up the passing, though. And because, and I'm, I would have said the same thing with Kayon Solter, but Kayon Solter, I don't think, has somebody breathing down his neck to be the starting quarterback versus Brown here. If he throws two interceptions every single week, like Gary Bohannon's sitting right there and if, once he gets healthy. So I think Brown is, it's a little bit worrying about the fact that he could be replaced by Gary if he's not able to kind of fix things up here relatively soon. But for right now, this is another huge upside play. Play him on the right matchup. Could be absolutely insane. Don't play him against Alabama in week three, obviously. But the rest of the schedule, you've got a pretty solid path here to CFF relevance each week. Austin, your thoughts here, man? Think of the game script, though, Jared. Think of the game script. He does Um... play a lot of hero (laughs) ball, which is kind of what makes it fun. But also, I doubt South Florida scores more than two touchdowns in that game. Yeah, I'm not uh, I'm not playing him in that game either. I think the nice thing about a guy like Byron Brown, if you have him on your team, is that you know the weeks that you're going to play him. Like it's either your obvious yes or obvious no. And I kind of like having some of those guys. They've got Florida A and M. They've got Rice. They've got. Uh, I mean, we watched Navy get torn up by by uh, Notre Dame in, in Week Zero. They've got UConn. Um, they've got. Uh, Charlotte, like there, there's definitely some weak game skill on this still on the schedule. So shout out to my 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 good friend and co-host Colin, who has been on Byron Brown all offseason. Um, I, I think uh, I, I do like him a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm I am sad that I bought into the reports that Gary Bohannon was gonna end up being the starter because like Brown's just so much better. I was rooting for him so much early in the offseason that I, I I got depressed where I was just like, uh, it's going to end up being Gary because that's just how this works. And then now he goes out and starts, had a really good week this past week. And I'm like, shoot, I should have believed the whole time. And the other nice thing about Brown is that, and again, if you're playing in any sort of redraft league, maybe you don't care about this, but he's attached to Alex Goulash. I think he'll only get better as he gets more familiar with that system. If he's True. running anything even similar to what they're running over at Tennessee, and I, full disclosure, did not watch this game, so I don't know and i don't know if they could even if they wanted to with the personnel right now but uh over the next couple of years as he grows in that system i expect him to get more comfortable and we've seen bad passers 
perform very well in, in the system. It's kind of a great equalizer for for a, a quarterback that, that isn't a great passer. I mean, Hendon Hooker did not have that reputation. Nope. Joe Milton did not have that reputation. So I think, you know, if there if it's something similar to that, I I, I, wor- I don't worry that much about the 15 for 34 for Brown, which I think people are going to look at sometimes and get a little grossed out by. And again, I understand why somebody might get grossed out by that. But at the same time, like, he's got time to kind of clear it up. I think part of the reason why they started Brown here is because they're like, hey, we're going to we're going to struggle this year probably it's going to be rough at times let's at least get him out there let's get him experienced let's get him better and then next year is the year that we really make a run here that's at least what i'm hoping for because then he'll have some really big games online and then i don't have to worry about him getting benched yeah all right let's move on to our next quarterback here tj finley we knew all offseason that whoever was going to start for texas tech was or texas state excuse me was probably going to be a cff relevant quarterback here i didn't think i don't think any of us really expected us to find that out in week one against baylor i think a lot of people were kind of going into that game thinking like oh they're going to be so outmatched in that game probably we're not going to really see what this offense looks like they were the ones who outclassed baylor they did a phenomenal job the offense was humming it pulled the upset versus baylor i think finley in this system Looks pretty solid moving forward. Again, he scored four touchdowns, three three through the air, one on the ground. So it's nice to see him running a little bit, even though that's not really his MO there. I think, again, he only had 30 30 passing attempts in this game. But if you look at the running back options that they have at Texas State, like even from this past game, like none of them are super inspiring. I think they all averaged under three yards per carry, except for one who broke off like a 65-yard 65 yard touchdown but if you took that away like he they were averaging three under three yards per carry before that i think they're going to rely more and more on tj as it moves along i think this is the reason why he won the job and once sunbelt gets started this could be points galore for the bobcats because he scored over 30 fantasy points this past week against baylor's defense which i consider to be a pretty solid defense at least going into this year so austin your thoughts on finley real quick yeah, I'm really rethinking what I thought about some of these defenses in the uh, the Big 12 this year. Uh, this is what I call a chip pusher. We are all in. I'm freaking Al Pacino out here in Scarface with the dollar gun, just spraying. Uh, I'm I'm unloading the clip on TJ Finley in week one. I'm a believer. Um, quite frankly, I'm not a believer in TJ Finley. I think he's mediocre at best, but I love GJ Kenny. So I'll 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 spend that money on the head coach essentially uh to to get this guy on my squad and yeah even in like i i play one cff league the rest is all c2c he's even still widely available in c2c's which tend to be uh quite a bit just deeper due to the due to the the nature of the format so i'm i'm spending up on finley this week yes i think of all the quarterbacks that are available i think he's my top target i I had to double check and see what all's sitting out there um but i i and again schedule week You've got, oh, yeah. you know, UL, Nevada, Southern Miss, Jackson State, like Jackson State, not Jacksonville State, uh, ULM, Georgia Southern. I mean, this these Arkansas State who we just saw put up, give up, what, 70-something yesterday to Oklahoma or 80-something. So, I mean, this, this is not a tough schedule. I, I foresee a, a nice season here for Finley. Yeah, it definitely hurts for all the Malik Hornsby uh, believers out there. But again, we all, we all knew this is a possibility the moment TJ Finley got in there. So... Let's move on to our last quarterback here. This one's going to be pretty quick for me because, again, the reason reasoning behind him is simple. Jack Plummer, Jeff Brom quarterback. It was rough for the first half, for sure. 
But really, once Plummer got into a rhythm, they came out in the second half. They looked a lot better. Plummer looked a lot better himself. Again, 247 yards, three touchdowns. You're kind of hoping that gets a little bit better there throughout the season. You know, he's not spending the first quarter picking his nose or something like that on the sideline or in the middle of the field. He's got a really good schedule over the next couple a couple of weeks here. He's got an FCS opponent in week two. Then he got Indiana, Boston College. Those should be teams that he should absolutely do much better against than he did against Georgia Tech to start there. And the other thing that was interesting to me in this game, he ran the ball a little bit. I always thought of Plummer as kind of a pocket passer guy, but no, nine rushing attempts, 51 yards. Like he was not afraid to run this year. That's something that he's going to do more often this year. Could definitely be super interesting. Your thoughts on Plummer real quick, Austin. Yeah, I'm not. He just feels like such a floor, safe floor play to me that unless my I either have to start a weird number of quarterbacks or my quarterback situation is awful. I'm not sure that I'm spending up on waivers for him, but I do still see the upside in this offense. Um, I'm just not sure. Like he got 51 rush yards this this week. Is that you get negative 51 next week? I, I don't think that's something that's necessarily always going to be translatable. And I'm not sure if we're 50 yards is great, but if it's more like 30 and no touchdowns, I mean, there's very minimal fantasy fantasy value there in my opinion. So oh, fair. is he going to throw for 350 and four every week? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. So I I'm, I'm, I'm this, I think he's very much a floor guy. I, I'm not buying too much. And I, I do have him in a couple of spots, uh, but not super thrilled about it. Alrighty, well that finishes up our quarterbacks. I'm going to throw out a couple of honorable mentions here. Again, like I said, we try to keep under 30% for the roster ship, but there are a couple quarterbacks out there, in my opinion, that quite frankly are like just above 30%, or they're a little bit more above, but they need to be owned in way more leagues after what we saw this past weekend. Jalen Milrow out of Alabama looked pretty good. Again, it's Middle Tennessee State, but at the same time, he looked pretty comfortable, scored two touchdowns on the ground. He's going to be fantasy relevant as long as he's the starting quarterback for Alabama, given the scoring opportunities they're going to have. Jackson Dart at Ole Miss looked really, really good. Uh, and then Casey Thompson at Florida Atlantic both had really strong performances, and I think they'll translate in conference play pretty, pretty well there. And the last one I'll throw out here is Cardell Williams, the quarterback that came in for Tulsa after Braylon Braxton got hurt in their game on, I can't remember if it was Thursday or Friday. The only re- he, he, I think he scored like 26 fantasy points. Looked really, really good. I just don't know what's going on there. Is he going to keep the job? Is Braxton? Is it going to be a thing where he only has until Braxton comes back? How long is Braxton out? I just don't want to recommend him yet because I just don't know what's going on with the Golden Hurricanes over there. So, but I do want to throw him out there for you know if you if you have Braylon Braxton on your team is a that's a must pick up handcuff right there. All right. Let's move on to running backs here. And let's start back on Thursday night with Mr. Marcus Carroll, the running back out of Georgia State, rostered in 24% of leagues. We knew that Georgia State was going to have a solid rushing attack. They've had it the last couple of years. The thing is that they typically have more of a split backfield that kind of caps the ceiling of any one running back that they have on that team because they typically have a load of good guys there. But this past weekend, we saw Marcus Carroll just absolutely dominate this backfield. Obviously, Darren Granger is getting some carries because, you know, he's the quarterback still. But Carroll had 23 rushing attempts compared to the next running back, which was Casey Adams, who had one. That's a huge development for this offense. If one guy in this off in this rushing attack is going to get the lion's share of carries, 
That is a CFF relevant running back immediately. He's got a ton of great matchups in the upcoming weeks. Again, next three opponents are UConn, Charlotte, Coastal Carolina. They play in the Sun Belt, so there's going to even be even more great matchups for him down the line. There's really not a lot to say here. This is a must pickup. If, 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 if he is still available in your league after waivers run this week, I'm sorry, y'all did something wrong. What do you think, Austin? Yeah, full disclosure, I didn't watch any of that game, but uh, the stat line is intriguing to me. Uh, if I need running back help, I'm I'm happy to to spend. Although the history there of splitting the backfield makes me hesitant to call him like a guy that I'm I'm spending a lot on. Like he might be like kind of like more of a mid tier spend for me. And if somebody else outbids me, so be it. But that's just I'm a little more cautious on that one. See, like, again, like, I, I would totally be with you. If this was a situation where he had 23 attempts compared to, like, Casey Adams' 10 or 12 or something like that, I'd be a bit more hesitant. But, again, just because he literally almost got every running back carry in this game. That is a pretty good green flag, at least in my opinion. Um, again, I'm typically one, I'm typically all about system, system, history, history, history. What has the coaching staff done before? But this seems like one of those scenarios where that's being thrown out the window, at least in my opinion. Another running back here. Let's go back to Thursday night. Back to our first taste of Maction here. Well, not Maction because it's not two Mac teams, obviously. But Jalen Buckley, running back at Western Michigan. This came out of nowhere. This dude's rostered on 0% of rosters. People were looking at Zir Abdus Salam. They were looking at Keyshawn King, the uh, transfer running back out of Virginia Tech. And then this dude comes out of nowhere. 30 rushing attempts, 194 yards, and a touchdown. And part of this is just that we did not see this Western Michigan offense coming. 96 plays they ran in this game. And most of them were running the ball. It's just an insane volume of rushing that they were able to get there. The number two running backs here, Abdul Salam, got 20 carries. So there's a possibility we could end up with two running backs here. But any dude that gets 30 carries in a single game, that's a dude that you need to be targeting for your team. I know some people are kind of worried about Keyshawn King. He got banged up in this game, for those of you who don't know. But one, Buckley was already outproducing him before the injury. Like he had like, I think like nine more carries than King did before he got hurt. And number two, again, because they're running so many plays and they're running the ball so often, it might not matter. Like I said, there's room for multiple running backs to be CFF relevant if they're going to run 90 plus plays every single week here. Last thing I'll throw out here about Buckley, you got to stash him for the Mac. The schedule the last, this next few weeks is pretty brutal. Syracuse, just did some unholy things to a tube of toothpaste last week. Iowa, obviously a pretty solid Big Ten West defense right there. And then Toledo, quite frankly, is a more talented defense than a lot of Power 5 defenses, at least according to our C2C winning edge numbers there. So I would sash him the next couple of weeks and then unleash him when you get to Maction. Austin, your thoughts on Buckley? Yeah, I think the tricky part is going to be that, that, like you said, he's probably not usable here for a little while. Uh, so I would be lying if I said I was probably as uh, well-read on the Western Michigan backfield. Um, but I do think that the other running backs existing there and the fact that I... Th There's a difference between what I'm looking at and seeing, like, that volume looks sustainable week one and be like, that volume does not look sustainable week one. I don't think they can run that many plays moving forward. Now, I don't know that they need to run, what, 90-something to be successful every week, but I think those two things do limit my interest a little bit. If that, that, uh, I, I mean, I, he's probably more of a, a mid-range ad for me instead of like a priority push-the-chips-all-in kind of guy. No, yeah, I, I totally get that. Again, like, 
to me, like even if they ran like 10, 15 less plays, that's still 80 plays in a week. That that would be like in the top five of offenses last year. Like they're going to try to run plays as fast as they can. Now, it could lead to some weeks where um, I think it was like Old Dominion last year was really, really fast paced, but they kept going three and out. So it didn't matter. Um, maybe Western Michigan deals with some of that this year, but for now, like I can't ignore a guy that got 30 rushing attempts in week one. If he, and the good news is again, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to see whether that is sustainable. So we'll definitely see there. running backs. Next up, we got Mr. Nathan Carter out of Michigan state. I'll admit this is the one out of the five that we're going to talk about today that I'm probably the most hesitant to recommend to you guys. Um, Kind of a similar situation to Georgia State, where it was a backfield that I thought was going to be a bit more committee, uh, but then Nathan Carter comes out, uh, separates in, from that room a little bit. 18 carries compared to Jalen Berger's eight. More explosive out of the two, which I think is going to earn him even more carries moving forward. It kind of very much reminds me a little bit of what Kenneth Walker did for Michigan State a couple of years ago, where it kind of started off with a bit of more of a committee, but... At one point, you couldn't ignore how good Walker was. Carter might be on the same path here. But the problem is, I think this is just a, just a much worse Michigan State team than a couple of years ago. So I think the scoring opportunities are just going to be much worse for Carter moving forward. And so that's why I'm a little bit hesitant here. This guy feels like you pick him up, you start him in week in your bye weeks and everything like that. But otherwise, that's kind of where I'm at here. But I think he's worth you know mentioning in a waiver pickup right now, sashing him for later. Austin, your thoughts, man? Yeah, just looking at their schedule, there are between six and eight games that there is just no way you could convince me to put him in a starting lineup, um, including, you know, Penn State, they get Penn State, Ohio State, and Michigan. I think Minnesota's got a pretty good run defense. They have Iowa. I wouldn't play him against Washington because I think at minimum the game script's bad there. And then you can get into some of those 50-50 ones. Like, I don't think Nebraska's awful defensively. Uh, Indiana did actually not look bad yesterday against Ohio State. They have them, Rutgers. I mean, it was Northwestern. I'm not taking much away from them. Like, that could be 50-50. Like, honestly, I think this is one where I'm just happy to let somebody else grab them. All right, fair enough. Let's move on to Cody Schrader. This is a dude that I was touting during the offseason, talking about how much the coaching staff was kind of building him up. They expect big things out of Schrader. And through week one, he's kind of living up to it. 18 rushing attempts in this game. 138 yards and a touchdown. I was a little bit worried about Pete coming in and getting a significant amount of touches there. But quite frankly, Trader, as the day went on, just looked like a better running back. Outproduced Pete in total yardage, 138 compared to 52 on the ground. And just on a per-down basis as well. I mean, 7.7 yards per carry for Schrader versus 3.7 for Pete. Now, granted, Schrader had one big run that kind of inflates that a little bit. But even if you take that away, he's still... Out, he's still outproducing Pete by a good yard and a half, two yards per play there. I am, I'll admit that a lot of this is, again, projection down the line. I'm banking on him because he's the more explosive out of the two. He looked better this past week. I'm banking on him kind of breaking away from Pete and just earning even more touches as the season goes along here. Austin, are you kind of in the same boat? What are your thoughts on Schrader? I do worry a little bit that this turns into the TCU situation where they're both kind of used situationally because I don't think Pete looked like he's clearly the inferior rusher, but he's pretty dangerous as a receiver still. And I do think they want to get him some touches. So I, uh, I, I, I do like Schrader. I think the uh, schedule in the short term looks really, really good. I'm a little more concerned when they get into SEC play, but I do like him for the next couple of weeks. All righty. 
Last running back we'll talk about here is not a running back at all. This is a little conversation I wanted to throw up here because, again, Air Force, you know, not the greatest week for those of us in believers of John Lee Elridge and Owen Burke or really anybody out of that backfield. But Zachary Larrier, he is the he was the starting quarterback for Air Force this past week. He is a track star. He is not kind of your typical Air Force quarterback here. He, again, as with most Air Force quarterbacks, limited passing. Only three attempts this past week, although, again, two pretty monster plays there. I mean, that's just what happens with Air Force. But he has running back eligibility as well. He has quarterback and running back eligibility. Austin, cheat codes are a part of college fantasy. There are guys who have just some weird, um, who have some weird eligibility rules and or um, you know what I mean. They have some weird eligible positions on their team, and that makes it to where you know you have a quarterback playing running back here. Are you okay with this one, though? Because you know, I know a lot of people are kind of big on like, oh, we need to remove those. Like, it's not fair if somebody grabs it and everything. But, I mean, it, the quarterback in an Air Force team kind of serves as just an extra running back who throws maybe three to five passes per game there. Now, again, they're typically kind of bigger plays, but you could also have them throw five passes and hit none of them. So what do you think about Larry as a running back, and would you recommend people pick him up? Yeah, line's a little blurred there between those positions at Air Force, so I don't really have a problem with it. Um, I don't know. I think it's so hard. Robert Morris is one of those opponents where I just don't really know. I, I know who Robert Morris is. They're like yes. 50 minutes outside of Pittsburgh. They're a small school. I'm very familiar with Robert Morris. I, I I know what they are, which makes this actually even more difficult to figure out because I they're not a FPS-quality football team. Um, so I'm probably not adding him unless it's a deeper league, but I do think it's interesting. And if I can get, if I see another week or two of similar stats, I, I, I might pull the trigger. It's just a fun potential, honestly, more of a bi-week QB filler and kind of guy. Yeah. All righty. We're moving on from running backs here. Just want to throw out two honorable mentions for people to take a look at and see if you could come to your own conclusions on Cameron Scadabo running back out of Arizona state kind of broke away a little bit more than I was expecting. And then Naquan Wright, kind of a similar situation over there at South Florida. I was big on him, but it looks like he is indeed kind of breaking away from that running back room. We'll see if that continues moving forward. Wide receivers, Austin. We got to start with one who's been just absolutely tearing it up the last two weeks. Quite frankly, I thought about not putting him on here because if you're playing CFF, you probably he sh- should be rostered already. But his roster ship is still sitting there at 18%. So clearly, there are some teams where he's still hanging out out there. Ashlock Pofele or Pofele Ashlock. I, I I put his name backwards on the thing. My bad, y'all. Uh, Pofele Ashlock, wide receiver out of Hawaii. We know the slot receiver for Hawaii's run and shoot has been phenomenal whenever they do run it there at Hawaii. We didn't know who it was going to be this year. We saw Ashlock on the depth chart. We were a little hesitant. We haven't heard of this guy before. Well, guess what? He's pretty darn good, it turns out. Over the last two weeks, 20 targets, three touchdowns. Dude is well over 200 yards on the season already. Quite frankly, he's on the path to potentially finish as the wide receiver one for CFF. I mean, there's literally no other reason to add him. Again, even this past week, 13 targets, 9 receptions, 123 yards, 2 touchdowns. He's clearly the guy through the first two weeks. Hard to ignore that. Austin, your thoughts? All in, baby. All yes. in. This, this is this an all-in one. I'm, I'm burning the budget on this kid. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't have anything else to add. Just He's going to see targets. I would say, I, I, this, this is one we can go through quickly. Like, Go get Ashlock, y'all. Next one up. 
probably need a little bit more convincing compared to a lot of people because again we you know it's been one week with this guy it's not like it's been over two weeks here lincoln victor wide receiver out of washington state we once again similar to the hawaii system we know the slot receiver for ben arbuckle has been phenomenal the last couple of years being malachi corley last year when arbuckle was an offensive analyst under zach kitley you saw Jarrett stearns go for monster numbers at both western kentucky and a houston baptist there so we knew that there was going to be a slot receiver for Washington State. As long as Cameron Ward looked good, that was going to be productive. A lot of us, including myself, were buying into T. T excuse me, DT Sheffield. But looks like Lincoln Victor, the program veteran, is looking like that guy right now. 14 targets, 11 receptions, 168 yards in this past game. Didn't score a touchdown, so maybe that kind of makes him fly under the radar for some people there, but... Quite frankly, you're getting 14 targets in a single game pretty consistently. The touchdowns are going to come with that. I will say, the only thing that makes me not completely all in is, again, I do like DT Sheffield. I think the hype around him is somewhat legitimate. So I think maybe he's a little banged up right now that he's going to... His impact is going to probably limit Victor's ceiling down the line. But if, you know, if we see another week of Victor here where he's continuing to get... 14 targets or in that range it's almost impossible not to be wanting to pick him up right now quite frankly you should pick him up this week if he if he does kind of fade down the line because the Sheffield oh well this is worth rolling the dice on Nace or Austin your thought man I don't know why I called you Nace there that was weird anything (laughs) that was weird Uh, you've never called me that before um yeah I I think I agree with pretty much everything you said poor probably more of a mid-tier guy and I don't know that we can expect uh, the the fourteen targets every week. I'm a, I'm a little skeptical, but an offense that is going to throw it, you know, forty eight team attempts this week. I'd, I'd wager they probably are over forty most weeks. So that that is at least good news. If you think they can support two guys, then then I I would be interested in probably a guy this week just due to playing some games with people that I maybe let other people spend up on, but uh, certainly a, a solid option. Yeah, and again, pointing out uh, real quick, his next three opponents, Wisconsin, Oregon State within the next three weeks, it's going to be a little tough to really figure out like what is he looking like on good weeks and bad weeks and stuff like that. Maybe we figure out over the next two weeks that you know exactly when you should start him, which as Austin kind of mentioned earlier, you like having those guys on your team because you know exactly when you're going to need them. So let's go ahead and move on to our next wide receiver here. Let's talk about Xavier Henderson, wide receiver out of Cincinnati, Rostered on 8% of rosters. We talked about Emory Jones earlier. Xavier Henderson looks like his favorite target here. Again, he le- he led the team in targets. He had the highest eighty, the highest average depth of targets among wide receivers, uh, with among at least amongst those with more than one target in this game. We've seen historically that Scott Satterfield's QBs have typically kind of fixated on one receiver in the past. Look at Tyler Hudson last year, a couple years ago, two two Atwell performed really, really well for Satterfield and the Cardinals. Do we see the same thing here, Austin? Again, it's a pretty encouraging, you know, number one target. They played together before at Florida, so there's clearly a connection there. I'm also curious about um, your opinion on Xavier Henderson from, like, a Debbie perspective here, Austin. Because, again, this is somebody that, you know, I've seen him. Again, as a Georgia fan, I've watched him play at Florida the last couple of years. He has impressed me pretty much every game that I've seen him in. He's a guy that can take the top off defenses a lot of times. If he has a really good year this year, do you see his stock going up in Debbie circles, potentially? What do you think? Yeah, so I did not 
I've never liked Xavier Henderson. I had him outside my top 30 receivers coming out of high school, which was, he, I think he was top 15 uh, for the services. He just, I, I think he's a big guy that doesn't know how to play football. And uh, granted, again, I did not really watch this game yesterday, so I can't speak to it. I find it extremely hard to believe based on what I've seen in the past that he learned how to play football this offseason. Um, I was actually more interested in Braden Smith this offseason. Like I, I have Braden Smith in some deeper places and he was okay but not 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 like Henderson was. Um, but I, I I am intrigued. I think he can be the go-to guy there. And if he's winning deep, I mean, those are, even if they're less consistent, they're, they're high-value targets. So I obviously want to see that passing volume go up a little bit. I don't know that if you're only getting eight targets a game, you're necessarily always a, a super viable CFF option. But um, I, I I am interested for sure from a CFF perspective. I, I think I want to wait a week before I go to add him. He might be gone by then. I don't know. But I think this is another one where – and they play Pitt this week. So um, you'll definitely you'll definitely get your eyes on him for I'll that one. I'll watch him. I don't, I don't want to overestimate. He might have a good game. I, I, I don't think Pitt's defense is you know infallible or anything. Um, but Austin will they're... only come around to him if he throws up 200 yards against Pitt's defense. If he does it, then I'm good to go. I'll probably go at him everywhere. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. All right, next wide receiver we'll throw up here. I'm going to let you start on this one, Austin, because uh, you specifically were like, I want to talk about this dude. And I was probably going to talk about him anyway, but like you were like adamant about like we need to talk about this dude. So talk to us about Eric Brooks there at Fresno State, Austin. What did you see yesterday that really makes you excited about this guy? Yeah, I think I tweeted like halfway through the first quarter. I was like, uh, this Eric Brooks guy kind, kind of looks interesting. And I think the really intriguing part about him was that he got – a lot of targets this week. I don't remember if he finished in my top uh, echelon of guys here. No, he, he did 12 not. He targets. Got, he, he finished just outside kind of the top guys that I look at. Uh, and they use him like everywhere. Mm-hmm. Like they're, I think he's almost, I, I know it's not exactly quite the same offense they've run the past couple of years, but it's almost like how they use Jalen Cropper with, with, you know, they're kind of, Sometimes they'll just kind of, you know, put him on a little slant that clear out the middle of the field and see if he can pick up extra yardage. They'll send him deep. They use him in the red zone. It was pretty wide usage overall, which really, really caught my eye. Obviously had uh, the two touchdowns. I think I turned it off by the time he caught the second one, but he looked really, really good. He he looked like he was Mikey Keene's favorite target on the day. I'm really, really interested in him. He might end up being like the jewel of the the Fresno offense. It might not be Sherrod this year who just was disappointing in pretty much every way. Yeah, I am again. You I saw your tweet yesterday where I was like, oh yeah, Eric Brooks, he, he's going off a good start. Like, but I think I, it only had two targets. Yeah. I was I'm like, like, I'm like, I'm like, who I'm like, we'll, we'll we'll see how it goes. Well, he finished the day with 12 targets, nine receptions, 170 yards, and two touchdowns. So clearly just had a monster day yesterday. Again, I'm a little concerned because again, you know, Jalen Gill not super far behind him, nine targets, eight receptions, although not nearly as many yards per reception there. So clearly Brooks has the higher upside there. Um he did have again, he had the higher he had the second highest A dot among receivers. So clearly this is a guy that's getting some high, high value targets here. And the thing that was kind of impressive to me is that, like, he did this against a Power 5 opponent. Like, again, say what you will about Purdue. I'm not going to pretend, like, you know, maybe they probably have one of the stronger defenses in the country and everything. But, like, it was a very impressive win by Fresno here yesterday. And if they can do it, they can do this against Fresno, he's golden the rest of the season. Because they have the seventh easiest schedule in the country, according to our C2C winning edge numbers. Their other Power 5 opponent here is Arizona State, which, again, if... I mean, freaking heck. If you're 
able to do it against Purdue. I'm sure you're going to be just fine against Arizona State there. And then it's just nothing but Mountain West teams the rest of the way. It should be totally, totally fine. I'm fully bought into Eric Brooks here. If I'm struggling at receiver anywhere, I'm paying a pretty penny to make sure that I can get him in a lot of formats as well. I can't remember what year he is. Um, so maybe he's like a super awesome CFF dynasty play for the future as well. So next wide receiver here. Last one we'll talk about here. This is kind of digging deep here, but I know that most of you out there, that even if you do your own research, which congratulations if you do, you're probably not looking at Nevada. But I really wanted to bring attention to Jamal Bell here, wide receiver out of Nevada, rostered in 0% of leagues. Finished yesterday with nine targets for eight receptions and 121 yards and a touchdown. He nearly doubled the next receiver. Again, they're playing against USC, so maybe this is a little difficult to see how this translates the rest of the year here. Maybe I'm overreacting here. But I think it's pretty impressive. Like, even the, yeah, I know it's USC's defense. They're not the greatest in the world, but it's still impressive to put up over 100 yards against a Power 5 level defense with talent. Really, they, they have a ton of talented players all over the field. That's why they're able to constantly get turnovers and everything like that. The other thing that kind of caught my eye is that Nevada, even though they were awful last year, they kind of sneakily had a high target share number one wide receiver in BJ Castile. He had 91 targets last year. You just really couldn't haul them in. Again, he was almost under 50% catch percentage. Their quarterback play was awful last year. So he ended up with not a ton of high dot targets there. So he ended up with less than 600 yards. So it completely flew under the radar for a lot of people. But technically, Nevada has a QB upgrade in Brendan Lewis. Again, obviously, it's a big technically there. But, you know, he looked pretty decent yesterday against USC there. They'll be behind in a lot of games. My biggest concern with Jamal Bell is that, again, he's probably going to be the clear number one wide receiver on a bad team, so he's going to be throwing the ball a ton. It's just how much is the scoring opportunities going to be there for him. I'm not quite sure about that, but it is something I wanted to bring up here because, again, this dude could completely fly under the radar in a lot of places. Austin, do you have any thoughts on Jamal Bell? Is he the one who caught the deep pass to like open the game like on Nevada's first play? I think so. They only... I think they only had two guys that had enough receiving yards for that to, it has to be one of the two. Uh, if it is him, I mean, uh, can I pass? I, I don't know. I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's so hard on some of these games to evaluate. No fair. Like they were so overmatched in this game. The targets are great. Like you said, I just struggle. I struggle to evaluate underdogs in these situations. I think even more than like the, the USC side of it. I, I, I would be lying if I said I knew anything about Jamal Bell. I don't. Um, so I I th- I don't think you have to add him this week. I think that's the thing. I that's think true. you can you can get more information on this guy. If someone in your league's willing to pick him up after this week, then more power to them. But I think you get a few more data points before you have to decide, which is nice. I, I need a few more data points before I could decide. I think that's entirely fair. I will say, like again, you're talking about how to evaluate these underdogs. I think it does say something when these teams go into a power five environment like this they know they're completely outmatched who do they absolutely go to it's something we saw with kent state against georgia last year it's kind of the first indication that Devontae walker was probably going to be a really really good player for kent state even better than dante cephas last year when they kept going to Devontae walker in that game i think we're probably seeing a little bit of the same scenario here although again i don't trust nevada's offense nearly as much as i would have trusted kent state's offense last year 
wide receivers loaded this week in the waiver wire. Like, I wish we could talk about even more dudes. I'm going to throw out some names here. Chris Mitchell, wide receiver at FIU. looks like they got that passing game going a lot better now with a new QB under uh, center, with, and he looked pretty good. Dion Burks, a super talented freak athlete at Purdue, looked really good this past week in their game against Fresno. Justice Ross Simmons, wide receiver at Colorado State. It's going to be him and Horton pretty much the entire year. We saw that this past week. Xavier Leggett, especially if Antoine Wells is out for any extended period of time. I think that's a fun pickup right there. Robert Lewis, wide receiver at Georgia State. We saw what Jamari Thrash did last year. Lewis looks like the number one guy this year. He should be in for a couple of awesome games. And then Xavier Guillory, wide receiver out of Arizona State, looked pretty solid in their game. And if Rashada can kind of clean some stuff up, I think he'll be pretty good to go there. Austin, looking at that list of guys I just mentioned, anybody tickle your ears and you have any quick thoughts on them real quick or can we move on to tight ends here i, I just I, birch did look good i watched that whole or most of that fresno purdue game um and i thought he looked really really interesting too so another watch list guy i probably not adding him this week but i mean graham harrell's had some rough years but he has produced some pretty dang good wide receiver uh years in the past so that did catch my interest a little bit and he's got a pretty solid quarterback with him right now in yeah. Hudson Card. Obviously, the ending of the game with the interception and everything, you know, you wish Card could have done a little bit better there. But I think in most weeks, Card's going to be pretty solid quarterback for them. So I, I definitely would watch this Burks there as well. Because again, anytime you can get like an uber freaky athletic dude that is near the top in target share for a team, probably somebody worth looking at. Because again, they like because of, because of that freaky athleticism, they're probably going to earn more and more targets down the line. All right, Austin, let's go talk about some tight ends real quick. Again, obviously, in CFF, tight ends are very up and down. You can have monster weeks, and you can regress to absolutely nothing the next week. So it is a little difficult sometimes to find those guys where, you know, they do exist, where they come out of nowhere, and they are pretty consistent week-to-week guys. Think Caden Prescorn last year from Memphis. A lot of, nobody was really drafted him in the preseason, but, you know, he's a week-to-week guy for a lot of people. We got three tight ends here. I think these all three of these tight ends are probably worth investing in as guys that didn't just have a big week this week, but probably have some big weeks down the line here. Let's first talk about the guy that, in my opinion, just came out of nowhere. I don't think anybody was talking about this guy, but Drake Dabney out of Baylor. Nine targets last week, six receptions, 101 yards, and two touchdowns. Tied for first in targets on Baylor last week. He was a red zone target, obviously, with the two touchdowns there. Pretty solid uh, average of the target of 12.6. This guy's not really just a dump-off option. They are targeting him downfield. Austin, do you have any strong opinions on Drake Dabney? I don't know how much of this game you were able to catch yesterday. Yeah, but... not not strong, but I do think he's really, really interesting. Um, I'm not well-tuned on tight end CFF redraft strategy. I know for... What I usually play, I tend to usually have between three and five tight ends on my roster. And he's kind of like that third one that like you're not counting on to produce, but could end up being pretty good. I'd be comfortable having him in that role on my kind of roster. So if you carry more than one tight end, I would be comfortable having him as kind of a backup. And he he might end up being a monster this year. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where in CFF, like more than likely, if you have more than one tight end on your team, you have the guy that you started. And then you have probably two or three options on your bench, or probably one or two options on your bench where, you know, somebody just straight up, like, you, you, you're like, oh, this is a good upside play. Absolutely nothing this week. A good example, Tanner McLaughlin. Just absolutely nothing this week. 
to me, that's a guy you cut for a guy like Drake Dabney, where you've seen Drake Dabney do it this year. Now, maybe McLaughlin has some big games down the line and everything like that, but there is a potential, in my opinion. I mean, a guy that gets not a tight end that gets nine targets and ties um, the number one wide receiver in targets, that's a guy I'm willing to invest in. If he doesn't do anything the rest of the year, I will be still happy with myself that I took the shot on this guy. I agree. Yeah. A similar situation here with our next tight end. Same conference, in fact, rival here. Jared Wiley, Austin, you mentioned him at the very top of the show there. I was pretty impressed with his performance in the game against Colorado. Seven targets, five receptions, 69 yards, and a touchdown. Not the greatest stat line in the world, but as I kind of dug deeper into it, I think there is some like sustaining power here for him on a week-by-week basis for the most part. Again, do I think he's going to get those 25-point games like a Bowers or something like that? Probably not, but he is a guy that... TCU has only three offensive starters returning from last year, and he is the only one out of them that was a skill player. So out of running backs, out of wide receivers and everything, he's the only he's the only consistent guy from last year. Now, again, he was like the fifth option last year, but, you know, there's still a lot of familiarity there, and we saw that that worked out for him this past week. And so I think that he's going to be a guy that Chandler Morris relies on. Again, pretty solid dot here. Again, not just a dump-off option. TCU is going to be in a ton of shootouts, given what we saw with that defense this past week. TCU is going to have to score to keep up in a lot of these games. I think that provides a lot of touchdown opportunity for Jerry Wiley there, because again, clearly in this shootout this past week, he got a touchdown. I feel pretty good about Wiley on a week-by-week basis. Austin, do you feel the same way? Yeah, I think it's going to be a guy that has between four and seven catches every week, around 50 yards, and then if you get that touchdown, that's what the, that's what makes the week for you. I, I think he's kind of a... A floor guy, but like you said, you know, you you think you know what you're putting in with like a Tanner McLaughlin or uh, uh, I don't, did David Martin Robinson do anything this week? Not I really. That he like I, you you think you're getting something with those guys. Wiley might just be a guy where yeah, maybe you're not getting 20 points like you said, but but if he gets you between nine and 15 every single week, you're probably pretty happy with that. If you don't have one of those top guys, like just manage the position essentially. All right, we got one last tight end we're going to touch on here, and I'll fully admit to you guys, this is probably a little bit of personal bias, and like I like this guy all off season, and he's great, and co-sign. like cosine, and like I'm just like projecting a little bit here is like oh like I'm I'm right here, but like Dallin Holker, I think kind of confirmed what I think he's going to be for Colorado State this past week. Five targets, four receptions, forty two yards, and a touchdown. Again, not as impressive as the stat line for the last two guys and everything like that, but again, this is playing mostly on the system again the as i put in my notes here the song of cole turner still sings in my ear here we know that jay norvell when he has a tight end that he likes to utilize will utilize the hell out of and i think holker showed yesterday that like he's one of the top three options for this passing attack at any given week that's gonna be good enough for cff relevance most weeks again do i think he's gonna score a touchdown every week no do i think he's gonna he's gonna see gonna be a guy like brock bowers or even like a guy like you know, Ronda Gadsden, where they're seeing like nine, 10 targets every single week. Probably not, but like he'll consistently be involved every week. I don't think you're ever going to really worry about him being a straight donut for you at the tight end position ever. I think, again, similar to the other two guys, pretty solid A dot, not just a dot, a dump off option. They're targeting him downfield. He's a legit receiving threat for them. I think, I think Dallin Holker is going to be a pretty consistent guy for you week in and week out. Austin, your thoughts? I agree, and I think he fits in basically every single type of tight end strategy. I know the formats I play, we either I call them either anchor tight end, and that's 
Bowers, Gadsden, maybe Maryland. He looked really good yesterday. Uh, and then the re- and then the rest it's shotgun, and you have like five of them, and you just hope that one of them ends up being good. I think he fits in either. He's either the one backup you have with an anchor, or you do the shotgun approach, and you're happy with him as one of your three or four guys that you can shuffle in and out every single week. I I really like Holker. I've, we liked him at BYU a couple years ago. There was a bunch of buzz, yep. and then that went south for whatever reason, and he left. So I think he's extremely talented. Yeah, again, like th- this past week, again, while it's not the greatest the greatest stat line in the world or anything, it kind of confirmed to me a lot of what we have been hearing. So I think he'll be a very consistent option at the tight end position, which, again, with a lot of these tight ends, is super, super valuable. I would, per- let me ask you, Austin, would you rather have a tight end that can consistently, in a PPR format, score you 10 points every week? Like pretty much every single week, you're getting 10 points out of him. Or would you rather deal with a tight end where, you know, their upside on like maybe two weeks out of the season is 15 plus points, but you you run the risk of them hitting, running a donut like four games out of the season? Which one would you rather have? Yeah, I'd rather have the the, the steady Eddie for sure. I Probably depends a little more on the rest of my team, but we, we don't need to get into that. Yes, I'd probably rather have the steady Eddie. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. But again, I'm, I'm the exact same way. If I can get a guy like... I I yeah I I love it's part of the reason why again I started drafting more Ronde Gaston than I drafted Bowers towards the end of the season especially in redraft leagues where like I was like I'd rather have the steady Eddie like maybe Gaston doesn't have the ceiling of Bowers on any given week but like in terms of in terms of just like be, I know he'll be there every single week I kind of like that a little bit better I think Holker kind of fits into that but like more of like a dollar store version Alrighty. Awesome. That pretty much brings us to the end of the show here. Again, I'm kind of impressed that we were able to knock all that out in an hour and 16 minutes. I was a little worried about halfway through the show, but nope, we were rocking and rolling. Um, so you have any thoughts again, uh, last minute thoughts on week one and just anything else we're doing here at campus of Canton that, you know, maybe not enough people know about. I, I, I'll say, I think my biggest thing with week one is always don't overreact because the nature of how the schedule sets up and just the quality, the, the nature of it being the, the first week of the season. I don't know that we also always necessarily get reliable data week one. So I think if you, you should, I think in most instances stick to what you thought previously, there are instances where I would say, do not do that. But uh, I, I think generally I, I'm kind of sticking to what I, I thought previously. Uh, and then the other thing, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think our, if you're a C2C member, our tools do a lot more than I think people under, understand or realize. Like you can go in, it's already updated for this week and filter all sorts of different, um, you know, data points in the the player um, data table tool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I go in there all the time. Like it has like, even down to like, you can sort by like fantasy points and stuff from past years. So it, 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 and it has like 40 different metrics in it. So I think just doing some of that stuff, if you're trying to research beyond just, you know, how many fantasy points did this guy put up this week? I, I think it's a good place to go. And if you need any help navigating it, please let me know. I use it probably daily at this point. Yeah, absolutely. And again, like we're we're getting even more stuff out there for you guys to help you guys with your sit starts. We have projections this year. I don't think that's something that we've really, really talked about enough as a company out there for like Twitterverse and everything like that. It's like we got projections this year. It, it's a great tool to help you guys kind of build up your. Uh, strategy in terms of who you're sitting who you are starting um again especially once once we get a few more data points like weeks worth of data points in terms of like you know actual data from this season i think it's going to be easily one of the best tools that you can use down the stretch as you're trying to prepare for your playoff runs and stuff like that i think it's gonna be absolutely incredible for you guys 
Um, and then again, like, again, I know, like, her, like, the C2C winning edge package, y'all. Like, again, it's a lot of it is for betting stuff and everything, but like, the team breakdowns and everything like that. Nick Allen just puts so much time and effort, more than really anybody else I know in the entire college football world, in terms of keeping things up to date, keeping, uh, keeping track of news and everything like that. He is not attached to any of his preconceived notions. So if something changes, he is not afraid to let something go. And he is like, he'll give you a very accurate picture of what the college football season looks like right now. And quite frankly, it's hard to get that kind of objective data anywhere. So I think it's personally worth going and checking out that package and seeing if it's right for you. I think it'll help you out a ton in really any format that you're playing in, whether it be Devi, whether it be college fantasy, whether it be C2C, any of that. So with that being said, again, week one's in the book, Austin. Like we got to prepare for week two, got to learn a lot and everything here. But for now, I think we all go rest, kind of prepare our waiver wires for the week and get ready for week two. I will see you guys on Wednesday morning. We'll, we'll, we'll be back with Justin for our second round of sit starts. Be on the lookout for that tweet where you can submit your sit start questions for us. But until then, really appreciate you guys and hope you guys have a wonderful and fantastic Monday weekend. No, I screwed this up. Anyway, I was doing so well. Appreciate you guys. Have a wonderful week.